Hello there, SE land. This is Twig, Twig's SE Reflections, episode number 32. Gonna do a little mini-series here on the idea of choice points, different choice points that come up in sessions. Are you familiar with that phrase, choice points? Peter Levine has used that a lot in the classes that I've been able to attend with him. I even think I heard Stephen Hoskinson use that phrase in 2004 in an intermediate three training I was in. Definitely heard Peter use it in spring 2005. It's a long-standing concept, right, that there are places in the sessions where the practitioner wants to make discrete choices so as to steer things in the right direction. And if you don't choose those points accurately, then maybe you're at a point of no return. You've passed that point and you can't make that choice. And now you're waiting for the next choice point where you can lean things in one direction or another appropriately. Before naming some of the places that I particularly think about choice points in my sessions, I thought I'd just kind of go over some of the the background ideas, or at least some of my background thoughts on what makes up a good choice point and why they need to be attended to in this particular kind of way where you really think, should we continue? Should we turn? Should we do something else? Kind of a fork in the road, right? A path in the forest and you're deciding, am I going to take this path or that path? One quote that comes to mind, and I try to I actually think about this quote periodically. It comes from John Muir, the the naturalist, the great adventurer from the West who did his best to save Yosemite in the Hetch Hetchy Valley. And we actually still have Yosemite because of him, I would say. We would all say, I think. Well, anyway, John Muir, he went on a lot of adventures in his life, and one was up to Alaska to check out the glaciers up there from a boat. He was doing this kind of adventuring thing with folks who were doing a scientific study, and he ended up becoming good friends with a, a dog that was on the boat, this dog named Stikine. And uh, John Muir and Stikine would go on these adventures on the glaciers. And then and then John ended up writing about this afterwards, a wonderful book, Stikine. And in that book, John and Stikine are, ta- well, he's talking about how they were out one night, not exactly lost, but they were definitely out on the glacier. Night was falling it was going to be a rough, cold night. They would have to do what we call dancing the dawn, you know, where you stay up all night, kind of waking yourself up, dancing while it's really cold, hoping that you can get through until morning. Well, at one point along this travail where they're trying to get back to the boat, John Muir, he notices this kind of leap that he could make that would afford him an opportunity to get across this crevasse and then maybe make it so that he could get to the boat easier. And he looks at this jump, and he wonders to himself if Stikine could make the jump. And then he also says to himself, or at least he reports in the book, a wise mountaineer never goes forward on a step that he doesn't know he can return from. And, you know, that's that's really true. When you're out mountain climbing, if you say, oh, I'm just going forward, and you don't pay attention to how you might come back, what might happen if you go forward and can't return, then you could get yourself in a lot of trouble. So you have to, you have to choose these choice points very intelligently. You say, should I continue here, or should I look for another path that I'm assured to have some kind of, you know, way through or way back if I don't make it the way that I intend? by taking this step. Choice points, they have consequences. And one of the consequences that they have 
is that if you take one, you maybe, you know, continue on with something without thinking about it, or you make the choice, oh, I'm going to take this leap here, I'm going to try to do this thing, and you aren't able to come back, you have to be able to keep going from there and hopefully be able to take the next choice point that helps you to kind of turn things in the right direction if it should go bad. Of course, hopefully things aren't always just going bad and we're not just always thinking in our sessions, oh wow, this is just going to go from bad to worse to worse to worse. Hopefully it's not like that. We're getting more containment, more control, more ability to direct people's attention in ways that are more helpful. And yet there will be these moments. Yeah, there will be these moments. Part of what lends itself as important in considering those moments. Am I going to take this step or not? Am I going to allow this to happen or not? Am I going to redirect out of this or not? Part of what informs that is not just being able to see, could I come back or would I be able to steer forward from there, but also what's been happening before? What's the past experience here? What's the evidence show in terms of maybe pendulation or ability to deactivate or ability to answer my questions if I ask questions further, to be able to look back and say, how has the client contact been here? How's the momentum been here? How has the sense of things running away with us or things being able to kind of move their way through, how has that been? Being able to keep an ongoing track record of those qualities of things makes a big difference when we come to a choice point where and we might decide, am I going to ask for this or am I going to redirect over there? Are we going to try and do more or are we going to try and do less? Being able to look at what has already happened is going to help inform what's a good choice at that moment. If you can start to predict what will happen if you go down a certain choice point and see, oh, no, we just crash and burn that way, or, oh, no, that just leaves it so that they're too, too much in it when they leave my office, or, oh, no, that's a great idea. We're going to have no problem with this. Look at how the last one went so easy, the last round of a VU sound or whatever it might be went so easy. I'm just going to go forward here and do another one. If you can start to both see what comes before but also predict what's going to happen next if you take different choice points it makes or different paths at that choice point it makes it easier to decide what you should do okay so those are some things just to say at some point things happen or it's time for them to happen and by taking that step it makes it so you can't come back to where you were when you make that step you want to try to take this step that makes it so that you're not going to get lost or make it so you can't have something else positive happen. So rather than take a leap for glory to have that magic session, you might in fact take an easier, softer approach and stretch those magic sessions out into multiple sessions, building up all the skills necessary for that to be successful. Also, looking at your past experience with your client and how they've handled other stimulus, how they've handled the client-therapist contact, all of those things really matters in helping you inform which choice you're going to take when you come to a choice point. And then the more experience you develop, the more awareness and prediction that you have of what is likely to happen at these choices, or if I go down here, go down there with this kind of person, with this person in particular perhaps, all of that helps to inform your choices at these various different choice points. So let's look at one here, just to get us started and then I'll come back and look at a few others in future episodes. One is, and perhaps this is the most common, 
that I end up talking about is the choice point of to allow freeze or immobility and not to allow freeze or immobility. Like person's head starts to get heavy in a session. Their hands start to get heavy in a session. They start to report mm, feeling dizzy and out of it. They're spacing out. Do we want to allow that to happen or not allow that to happen? It's a choice point. And it's a choice point because on one hand, it is important to be able to help people to complete freeze immobility processes, right? Those are non-conscious, involuntary, self-protective responses that are still being driven by the instruction sets that say, hey, I have to do this. I need to freeze, immobilize, kind of go into this passive waiting type response. And that is going to take some time to be able to integrate process and move through into some kind of organic completion. Now, there are reasons why that is, maybe we could say, and I often do say, it's disproportionately advantageous to complete that process. You know, the neuroception, as the polyvagal theory helps us see, the neuroception that goes along with freeze and mobility is also the neuroception that goes along with the feeling or the idea, the feeling state of I'm going to die. I'm in a life-threatening situation. If as a person in the world, as a client, I'm coming in to your office and I'm burdened by a repetitive return to the freeze kind of behavior, to the feeling that I'm checking out, to the feeling that my body is going numb, you can kind of recognize that there is a burden on my nervous system that is repeating the neuroception that says, everything is so bad here that something really horrible is going to happen and I have to shut down from it. We want to be able to liberate that sense of burden of I'm going to die from people so that they can, well, you know, live. Sure. Right. So it's disproportionately advantageous to complete that kind of feeling. It's one thing to run around with fear and anxiety. It's a whole nother thing to run around with this deep shutdown that makes it so you can't mobilize your activity or your behavior at all because you just feel so shut down by it. At the same time, freeze is a really heavily conditioned kind of process. If it's the kind of thing where every time I start to track myself, I end up going into that freeze. If one of your clients is repeatedly instantaneously going into kind of some kind of shutdown, immobilized kind of feeling state, as soon as they start to track, you can think to yourself, wow, that's really attractive. Wow, they really need to do something with that. And wow, we're probably not going to see anything new happen here. That is so conditioned, so repetitive. If I follow that feeling of, wow, your hands are heavy, hmm, maybe you just let that happen. You'd be making a choice there. It's a choice point. You'd be saying, let that happen. And within moments, you might find that this person doesn't move for another 45 minutes and you're having to call their attention back into the room at the end of your session to help them move on into the rest of the day and to help you move your sessions through to your next client. This choice point really matters. And one of the questions at the freeze immobility kind of onset one of the questions that you can quickly ask yourself, is this a good choice to make? Should I encourage the allowance of this? Should I not encourage the allowance of this? Is to wonder, is this going to be productive? To be productive, there are several 
mm, I think, well-established preconditions that are in both the SE literature and in the trainings and such that kind of say, hey, if we don't have these things in place before we go into freeze immobility, we're probably going to see it simply repeat the same pattern, the same process, and not actually do anything new, not complete itself, but in fact, maybe instead, more or less just recondition the process to hmm, go back into freeze again. Not what we're trying to get at. So if we can look at that choice point and say, are those preconditions in place? Now, what are those? Maybe there are more. I'm always, I'm always really open to the idea that there are more. But I tried to name some of those in an early blog post in the Twigs SE Reflections blog series. And let's see, one of them is, of course, you'd want to uncouple fear from immobility. You can't have that active response of fear flight influencing the passive response of immobilizing, right? So you need to separate those two. You can't be trying to get out of freeze as you're going into it. So we need to uncouple the fear from immobility. That, fortunately, is largely done by this other one, this other precondition, which is to reestablish the self-protective responses before trying to engage the freeze response. We want the brain and the body to be communicating again before a person tries to come out of freeze. Yeah, so we want that those self-protective responses to be mobilized again so that there's good communication and good activity through the body so that when the energy that might be locked up in the freeze response starts to come out in the as they go in so they come out kind of way that as we come out of immobility we often come into fight flight behavior not always not exclusively but often we want that to be available so that when we go into freeze we're not just going to get stuck there because the body doesn't know what to do with the energy on the way out so we often try to reestablish the self-protective responses before going into freeze a couple more that are really important, I think, to get in before we allow freeze. Oh, just let that happen. Before we take that choice. Oh, just let that happen. Oh, your head's getting heavy. Oh, just follow that as far as it wants to go. Before we do that, we probably want to see activation and deactivation cycles come through at a very organic, involuntary level where a person can experience a stimulus and that stimulus can affect them in some way and then settle out of its own which is a kind of a sign of pendulation, right? Oscillation up and down. Within that, we'd often like to see organic oscillation, organic pendulation happening there where, you know, things are going from tighter to looser or more to less or um, pressure to relaxed or hot to cool. Some kind of organic pendulation, not directed by either the client's thought process or the therapist saying, oh, pay attention to your left hip. Oh, now pay attention to your right hip perfectly good thing to get things going sometimes but that action of doing isn't exactly a representation of what will be needed when it, the process becomes passive as in freeze immobility so we'd like to see that sense of things changing on their own with some momentum before we go into freeze all of those things organic pendulation activation deactivation reestablishment of the self-protective responses fear uncoupled from immobility if we can't look back early in the session or over a sequence of sessions and see those things in place when the person comes to this choice point where they say oh now i'm starting to feel heavy we can quickly make a review and say oh those things aren't in place mm. this would be kind of like going into the freeze 
without being able to know or predict that it's going to have the momentum, the rhythm, the consistency, the fluidity, the juice inside the self-protective responses to be awakened afterwards, the passive awareness allowance that comes along with allowing the freeze and not being caught up in the fear response of it. These things, if they're not in place, it's a great time to say something like, right. So you feel the heaviness in your head and as different as this might be, as normal, I might just say, go ahead and go with everything that you feel. This time I might just ask you to feel that just that much and then bring your head back up and we'll just take another look around the room. Oh, your hands are starting to get heavy. Right. Well, maybe I just, if it's okay with you, I just start to have you, even just at the very beginning here, start to wiggle your fingers there and maybe start to kind of just shift your body in the chair just to wake things up a little bit before we follow that too far. It's a choice point. And if you don't make the choice, of course, the system that's in front of you, the person will kind of direct which way you're going to go. And then you find your way down a trail that 45 minutes later, you're waking the person up out of the session. How long is this choice point? And this is a thing. This is a thing that I want to try to get at here. How long is this choice point? Sometimes it's really quick. You ask a person to start to track. They start tracking. Within seconds, they're feeling heavy. Within a moment from those seconds, they're going to be in a full-on freeze immobility, causing you the 45-minute pit of repair. Don't want that. It's very short and sometimes psh, totally unavoidable. On the other hand, sometimes you've got some moments, some minutes even, that things are building and they've got some tension in their hands and you can see their fists coming up and they're showing that anger is the anger is rising somewhere right up on the upper edge of that anger, this sense of, oh, now I'm collapsing and I just feel too much like I can't succeed at this. And you think to yourself, oh, wow, we were totally in the fight of that. And now we hit this place where we're going into the immobility. Do I want to follow this immobility or do I want to try to take the choice point that says, no, let's stay with the anger and work it back a step or two back into that fight response and not follow it into the freeze response, which is I suppose the point that I was trying to get at here, sometimes choice points come on immediately and you have to make the decision right away. Sometimes past that decision, all you can do is go on to the next choice point. Do your best to accompany through the freeze that's happening, even though you wish it wasn't happening and try to make it more associated and less dissociated than it would normally be. Try to wonder if there's some edge part of it that the person can pay attention to that they don't normally pay attention to. That classic phrase from Peter that goes something like, oh, take me there with you so that they're more associated as they go through that experience. All of those can be mitigating ways to go through that freeze response that has happened even when you might have wished to take the choice to not go in there. And other times the choice point comes on and you can take a step or two down into it and then back up as like I say I remember Steve mentioning this in 2004 in my intermediate three training when he he mentioned this and then I happened to have this in a session the session was coming up there was a great deal of anger the anger was there and it suddenly collapsed and rather than take the collapse I realized that I could back up a link or two in the chain and say 
Right, so now you feel that collapse. And just before, there was that kind of feeling in your hands, like the tension in your hands. Can I ask you about that tension in your hands? You really have only one or two steps past that point where it's going to go into freeze, where you can back a person up into something that was happening just before. Those are choice points. Should I allow this freeze? Should I not allow these, this freeze? Are these preconditions in place? Are they not in place? If they're not in place, how long is the window that I have to redirect attention? So let's just look at that for a moment. Suppose this client you're working with obviously has a freeze overlay that clearly needs to complete, clearly needs some attention, clearly needs to become more associated, clearly needs to have some attention as they go through it so that something new can happen. And ideally, on the other side of the time-limited process of allowing that freeze immobility to happen, some organic involuntary behavior comes forward to indicate that the nervous system is shifting from that dorsal vagal complex of orientation into either the sympathetic system or the ventral vagal system, and you can see that the process is changing of its own. That would be more the ideal of what we're looking for. Now, suppose that ideal is out there and your client has this clear direction toward freeze. If you don't have those preconditions established beforehand, it's often better to try to avoid the choice of freeze in order to try to establish those preconditions. At other times, that freeze is going to come on so quickly, we won't be able to make that choice. We won't be able to get those other things to happen. Freeze is just going to become dominant. At that place, I would say, hmm, try not to worry about it. Try not to worry about it. Try to give them the opportunity of going through the freeze and experiencing it somehow differently, experiencing it with more support, more allowance, more permission, less fear, more attention, et cetera, et cetera, and recognize that they might not have all of the preconditions that are going to be necessary for that organic unfolding completion thing to happen, and we might need to kind of break the spell of the freeze by the end of the session and bring people back into the room. The breaking of the spell of freeze is something that I would recommend being really gentle about. Yeah, like one of the things that's happening for people who are regularly getting compelled into freeze states is that they get drawn into there. And of course, you can't work from there very well. You can't live from there very well. People snap you out of it. Society snaps you out of it. You snap it out of it yourself. And that wake up disruption of freeze is something of a conditioning of the whole process of go into freeze, snap out of it, go into freeze, snap out of it. And the allowance of it to move all the way through to its own end is often curtailed by this snap out of it kind of thing. That fear being overcoupled with the immobility is another example of the exact same kind of thing. It's like the freeze starts to come on and the fear snaps us out of it. Oh, I don't like this. I got to get out of this. Oh, I got to get out of my chair. I got to get out of my skin. Rather than allowing it to move all the way through, the fear gets in the way and starts to compel us to do something. That doing something is the antithesis to allowing the freeze immobility to happen. So there are these times when it's going to come on, it's too strong, it's got too much of an interest, and we can't do those turns at the choice point just before freeze to make it so that we concentrate on other things, come back into the room, look around, move around, talk about the 
other somatic experience that isn't freeze, et cetera, et cetera. Ask another question that entertains them. Do the Stephen Hoskinson wash away kind of thing to bring the attention out towards something else. If we can't take that choice point that stops the freeze from happening and helps to direct it toward establishing these other preconditions, and it does go into freeze, so we've had to go there anyway, just take that walk through the woods. Take that walk through the woods and be gentle about how you help a person come out of that later on in the session and try to save as much of the allowance for going into freeze once it's happened as possible to say that someday when we're doing this, we're going to try to allow this as much as we can, even though here in the last maybe five minutes, 10 minutes of the session, I'm going to just slowly invite you to consider the possibility that you might open your eyes gently at your own pace to take a look around the room that you're in now. If we miss a choice point, it's not the end of the world. We just have to stay sane, move on to the next, and think about it afterwards. Could I, would I, should I take another choice, take another path right there next time? The last thing for today to say with that is, should that heavy attraction to freeze, that real attraction to freeze happen and curtail us from being able to make that choice point that says, ooh, don't go there yet. Should we have to follow that freeze in a number of times? Could be several sessions that this is just what happens. We come in, we start to track, we end up in this freeze. Okay, I do my best to try to make it as associated as possible. Not asking a ton of questions, but just enough to keep them a little bit more attentive to the experience. Eventually, should enough of that be safe enough to allow, you'll probably find that the earlier choice point becomes more available. And then you can take that choice point, reestablish some of those preconditions before then returning to the choice point of allowing the freeze and finding that the whole thing moves through much more quickly, not interminably, because there's more dynamic in the momentum and the pendulation. And that it moves on towards something else rather than just going into a gutter and getting stuck there until the end of the session when you have to wake somebody up. Choice points. That's one. Freeze. Should I allow it? Should I not? Are the preconditions set up there? If I allow this person to go in here, will it pass through? Did I have enough time to redirect them? If I didn't, can I pull them back one step to get them out of this? If I can't pull them back one step, rather than being harsh and fronting against the freeze and saying, oh, now wake up out of that. I'll just allow it to happen until we don't have any more time. And then we'll gently move out of that all the while thinking, next time, can I catch that choice point sooner? If not, we'll ride it through a number of times until I can catch that. Once I can catch that, reestablishing the preconditions or establishing them in the first place before returning to freeze so that now it can move through do what it's trying to do, and come out to what it wants to do next. That's a first take on choice points, the freeze and mobility one in particular. Come back next time and look at when to do another round, when not to do another round of whatever it is, conversation, a vu sound, what have you. I hope you'll be looking for those different paths through the forest and choosing wisely. If you don't know which one to choose yet, you got to go explore so you can know the terrain that you're working in. Looking forward to talking with you again sometime. Take good care. Choice points. Life is full of those. Should I have more ice cream? Should I stay up and watch another episode of Grey's Anatomy? 
Should I run farther today? All the time, making choices, what to do, what not to do, sends you down a certain kind of trail or not. One trail you can follow is down through liberationispossible.org backslash se reflections. That's the website area for this blog post, these podcast series from Twig, Twig's SE Reflections. I'm making my best choices that I can. I hope you are too. I know we don't always do it right, but we do the best we can. That's what I'm looking for.